Blog Talk Radio. Buy it, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with guests and information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. First, I want to thank you for tuning in and for listening. If you listened to the first interview today, it was Eric Morris, acting coach. And uh, my second interview today is Mr. Alan Gansberg. He is a film historian, a producer, a writer, and the dean of Columbia Film School. And we're going to talk about uh, the film school. We're going to talk about cable. We're going to talk about the future of television and, and all sorts of things coming up in just a few moments. The chat room is open. So if you've got questions for Alan, please don't hesitate to ask. Be, be right there in the chat room. And I want to thank everybody who listens and who reads the blogs uh, and everyone who spreads the word about Rex Sykes Movie Beat to your friends and your industry connections. I want to thank you for your emails, your phone calls, your feedback, and your support. The official website is R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S dot com. That's my name, RexSykes.com. And uh, you can subscribe to the official website by clicking on the RSS feed on the welcome page. That way you're always going to be updated to uh, new articles, new blogs, new uh, information, uh, events, networking, premieres, uh, things that are happening around the world and in my local area, uh, cast and crew listings, and there's videos and different things on the website, so be sure to check it out. Uh, the official Twitter address is RexSykesMovieBT. That's RexSykesMovieBT. BT and I appreciate it when you uh, uh, follow me on Twitter, when you follow us, and when you uh, retweet about my guests. Whenever you retweet or you tweet about the upcoming interviews or interviews after they've happened, you help my guests reach more people, and you help us spread the word to other filmmakers, other industry connections, and uh, friends and fans, so that they can take advantage of the expertise that is shared by my guests. You see, Movie Beat is really designed to be a resource. For you, and that's why I connect you up with the people, the professional people who are making it happen. And the way that we extend our reach is for you to post it on your Facebook wall, to uh, post it on your MySpace wall, to tweet about it. You know, if you make a comment on my Facebook wall, that's fantastic. I love it and I appreciate it. But you reach more people if you post it where your friends can see it, and you post it on their walls if they let you. Anyway, I sure appreciate it when you do that. Uh, the good news is if you're listening to this live, you can go ahead, you can rate and review the show, you can make us a friend, you can make us a fan. If you're listening to this as a podcast, go ahead and rate and review the show too, because all of these interviews, all these fabulous guests are available at the iTunes store absolutely free, and there's over 130-some interviews there for you to take advantage of and to learn from. And this has been called a masterclass you know, in filmmaking, and so it truly is because my guests are are the best. You know, they're they're great people to learn from and to listen to. Uh, if you're listening to an archive show, uh, 
uh, it means you're, or if you're listening live from my website, it means that you're at the interviews blog. You're, you've clicked on Alan's biography page. His name is the subject header in the in the archives. You've clicked on that, and you've gone and you've listened to it by clicking on a bold link. It says to listen live. Click the bold link. If it says to listen, click the bold link. It means it's an archived show. That's the big difference. You're either listening live or you're listening archived. It is actually very, very easy to do. And I, I just point that out because sometimes people ask and say, how do I get to do this? But anyway, enough about that. A um, couple of announcements. One is that Firestarter Films is coming up May 14th. That's a Friday night from 6 to midnight at the Harley Museum, Harley Davidson Motorcycle Museum in Milwaukee. If you're in the listening area, be sure to uh, stop on by. It's five bucks. It's a great night. I, it's, it's unrivaled by any other film festivals in the area year-round. Uh, it is networking. It's films. It's food. It's fun. It's friends. It's a, it's a whole gamut of things, so be sure to be there. Uh, director Peter Marshall uh, has the Art and Craft of the Director's Workshop coming up in Vancouver, March. I'm sorry, May 14th to the 16th in Vancouver. Check out that information at the Hot and Fun blog on uh, RexSykes.com. Kevin Sorbo's charity, A World Fit for Kids, is coming up in June. Be sure to read about it at the same location, the Hot and Fun blog, um, right there on RexSykes.com. I will tell you more about my fabulous guests coming up. Uh, I do want to mention that I am a contributor to the FilmLad show, which is at FilmLad.com. It's a radio show that airs every day, Monday through Friday, from 2 until about 4 p.m., I contribute on Wednesdays from 2 to about 3 p.m. Central Time or 3 to 4 Central Time. And uh, and you can listen in live by going to filmlad.com or you can listen to the archives by going to filmlad.com, clicking on their link, which is history, and uh, searching for the date of the show. For example, my show yesterday, I think you're going to really want to hear, uh, was April 28th. And uh, so if you go and check that out, you'll be able to. Uh, upcoming, we are going into production on the first – I mean, sorry, on Monday, May 3rd, we begin shooting Woody's World. It's the uh, television pilot directed by Ron Coleman, author of The Lazy Man's Guide to Cooking, uh, Woody's World, and uh, is the character. And we start shooting Monday through uh, this week, Friday, and then it goes into post because it's a live-action animated sitcom. So you can find out more about that at movieset.com. That's M-O-V-I-E-S-E-T.com slash Woody's, W-O-O-D-Y-S, world, W-O-R-L-D. All right, I want to bring on Alan because uh, he is a man that I am fascinated to chat with and talk to. I enjoyed him so much before. You're going to want to go back and listen to part one if you haven't already. He is currently the dean of College Columbia in Hollywood. He's, it's a fully accredited private college offering degrees in cinema and cinema and television. It's nearing its 60th anniversary. Uh, he's been dean for... Since uh, 2007, uh, he's he's uh, been nominated for four Emmy Awards, two for writing, one for producing, and one for documentary writing. He's the winner and longtime trustee of the Humanit Humanitas Prize, uh, which Daily Variety is called the Pulitzer Prize of Television Writing. He has other awards as well, and he's uh, among his credits are My Past is My Own, a CBS film starring Whoopi Goldberg, for which Gansberg won the Humanitas Prize. Little Miss Perfect, a CBS film directed by Marsha Mason. Have You Tried Talking to Patty, which was the highest rated children's live action special in CBS history at the time that it aired. And NYTV by The People Who Made It, a two-part documentary hosted by Walter Cronkite 
and Al Roker. He's a recognized film and Hollywood historian, and frequently he's in front of the cameras as a film and media expert. He's authored a book on Edward G. Robinson. We're lucky to have him today on Movie Beat and to continue the conversation, and I'm going to be bringing him on right now. Alan, can you hear me? Yes, Rex, I can, and I want to thank you for referring to me earlier as fabulous. <laughs> well, it's true. I always speak only the truth, and, uh, and, and you are. You're a fabulous guest. I had a marvelous time listening to you the last time. I, I think I could, kind of like the guru experience, I could sit at your feet and listen to you regale us with tales of Hollywood history and lore and current state of affairs because uh, you seem to be a man in the know, and I appreciate that very much. I appreciate you having me. Well, and uh, I, 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 I don't mean to embarrass you, but I, I do. I, I, you're a fabulous guest. So, Alan, um, let's let's talk a little bit. Let's let's move right into that. Why a film school? Why would anyone want to? Uh, you know, can anybody make a film? And if they can, why should they go to a film school? <laughs> okay, I'm going to answer that. What <laughs> um, is the predilection? In the, uh, I'm going to admit that in the predilection of the United States, I mean, American culture. Whatever there is, they form a college for it. Do you know what I mean? It's like the old College of Hard Knocks, or you know, I mean, I worked summers on newspapers when I was in college and graduate school as a you know summer reporter, replacement reporter, and you know the, the old timers there had not gone to film school. Um, I'm sorry, had not gone to journalism school or anything like that. You know, they had apprenticed, but we don't do that in the United States anymore. We have uh, you know we have schools. Why a film school? I think for a lot of reasons. Um, primarily being that uh, I think anybody can have a camera in their hands. And yes, you could be in you know, the middle of Pennsylvania and make Blair Witch Project, but um, the, I, the world is changing, the film world is changing, um, and so just to say, well, I have 15 things on YouTube, which is what I call amateur distribution, is not sufficient. Uh, you need to be up on, on not just technology, but up on technique, um, and to know the difference between what's going to reach an audience and what just makes your grandmother happy. Um, and so I think knowing, knowing what films are and what they can be, knowing what television is and what it can be, um, and knowing the different aspects, knowing how to communicate as if you're going to be a director, how to communicate with your, with your, your director of photography and your editor and your other department heads. Uh, if you want to be a, a producer, how to put all those pieces together, how to pitch, how to sell. I don't know. Um, I think you can learn certain... Uh, the. The, you know, the precocious person can learn certain things on their own. Um, I think the shared experience and the, uh, of crewing and learning is what you go to film school for and, and why there's valuable. You know, I, I'm going to throw my two cents in you know, for what it's worth. If I could do it all over again, if I weren't where I was today, meaning I'm raising kids, I'm in the Midwest, and if I were living in Hollywood and I were a young person, um, not that you couldn't do this as an older person, I'm just I'm just citing. If I were a young person, I could do it all over again, I would go to film school. And the reason I would, if for no other reason, is is because of the camaraderie and the colleagues who would be I would be coming up in the ranks with. Because, you know, I look back on days when I was younger and when I was part of the SAG Conservatory at AFI and things like that. And the people who moved forward, the people who were friends, and the people who are crewing up to now, oftentimes you know, do so with people they met in film school or when or at USC yeah. as well when I was going through so in UCLA. So uh, that in and of itself to me would be value. But I'd love to sit in classes, and I did. I sat in classes and, and watched movies and watched film and dissected things, and, and I, I think it's a valuable experience. Um, I might add to that, if I can, just quickly, is that the reason you come to a school in Southern California is the internships. So you can intern, you can be in Milwaukee or, or, or 
to Pittsburgh, you know, and, and come out to Hollywood for the summer and intern. But here, our students do two plus internships, and that's how a lot of them get their jobs because the the companies are here. So that's another reason to come to Southern California Film School. Just throwing that into the mix. No, 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 it makes a lot of sense, and and I think I think that. The, you know, almost every single guest that I've had on the show, if I say, how do you start getting your career, they go, especially behind camera, they go, do an internship, become a PA, get get on a job. Absolutely. You know, that's the, that's the way you make it. So, uh, you know, that's awesome. Um, now, but does it really make filmmakers? Yeah, it does. It does in the sense... I'll, just, I'll give you two two reasons why. Uh, we had a student, a former student, a graduate, came back to say hi the other day. Um, he just made an independent a film, independent film, and I, truth is, I invested in it. But all right, um, and he did it with four friends of his, guys, you know, who had not gone to film school. And he said there was this learning curve of everyone saying, "Well, what structure? What's this? What's that?" I mean, in other words, he said he spent a lot of time being the teacher. He said. So, um, you know, did he, you know, uh, did the other ones have talent? I, I don't doubt that they do, yeah. But, I mean, he spent a lot of time being a teacher. So, yeah, it's that, it's that knowledge base um, that, that I think is extraordinarily important. Um, um, and for that reason and that reason alone, does it make filmmakers? Um, yeah, and, and there's another reason for that also. What we do is we provide students, our students, with the foundation to be able to absorb what they're going to get in the real world. On the real world situation, you're always going to have X number of things that you, you, you cannot encounter in the classroom, and that's true of any business or any career. Uh, but, but I think that um, what we have the foundation so that you, you can absorb it. Plus, in the sense of our school, 95% um, of our instructors are working professionals. Uh, the other 5% teach general studies class and are working professionals in their field. I mean, so here you're getting people who who really know what you need to know uh, in the outside world. Uh, and for that reason, yes, you have a foundation to be able to, to, to ascend in the, in the actual uh, film world and television world. What was amazing for me when I was taking classes back when I was younger was that I was in class with, um, at that time, I won't say who they were, but prominent actors. I mean, people who had you know blockbuster movies out at the time. Uh, you know, and I did projects with them. I did a project with a casting director, who you know, if I hadn't met in school, I mean, I mean, this was this was like a valuable connection. So I mean, you know, they're, they're the kind of people that you meet and can and can be around uh, in film school. I think I think is important. Let me ask you this. Um, is it practical? I mean, in other words, are they making movies when they're in film school, or is it mostly book learning? No, no, no. It's very hands-on. Um, it's here. And when I say hands-on, it's not just cameras. Um, our writing classes, for example, are taught in a writing lab, and except for the most advanced ones, you, you do exercises while you're doing it. You don't just talk, pontificate about writing and watch a film and say, what's the structure? I mean, you're really doing it. Um, at our school, you get a camera in your hands in your first class. It was Principles of Production, you know, Film 101. Uh, yes, um, and you're making films and short films along the way. What students tend to think is that anything they make is going to make get them the, you know, the, the, the three-picture deal, uh, and that's not going to be true. I mean, a lot of times you're using low-end cameras, or we want you to, you know, if you fail, you fail, I mean, because it's an exercise. Um, but you're making a tremendous number of films um, while anybody can rent equipment, uh, surely, um, here you have access to 
uh, all kinds of equipment, uh, you know, HD as well as we have, we have 16 millimeter Super 16 camera. We are acquiring a red camera, one of the few schools that's actually going to own one. Uh, right now we lease them. Uh, so you have all that access. But yes, you're making films, you're, you're doing hands-on all the way. Is there book learning? Absolutely. We have a class called Script Analysis where you actually study uh, Aristotle's Poetics and talk about structure. Uh, students find it to be a very valuable class, you know, in the end. Uh, a lot of our producing classes are certainly uh, uh, lecture classes, business-oriented classes, because that's what you're you're learning about entertainment law. You're learning about how Hollywood business practices, how how the system, how the process works, or, or you know the business model and so forth, which we've we've talked about Rex in the past. So, but uh, um, but yes, I mean you're you you've got the equipment and you're and you're using it. Well, I would say just, I mean, hey, listen, I still learn from books. I get books all the time. Either people send them to me so that I can read them because of the show, or I go buy them myself, and I'm reading film books. So, I mean, uh, book learning is an important part of the learning experience. Plus, I think that, um, you know, well, I'm going to put myself out on a limb here, but even more important than picking up the camera and making the movie is learning the business side of the film business because, you know, I mean, I could make a movie on my weekend, you know, like you said, yeah. and put it up on YouTube. But I can't learn the business side of it unless I get it from somewhere, unless I'm out there actually doing it. And so if I can get that in advance and if I can get that from people who can teach me, you know, entertainment law and things like that, then I, I think that, that, that therein, for me at least, I, I would be very fascinated in being a, well, a film school pitch, you know. Again. Yeah, we, 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 look, we look at it. We're very strong. We're very big on that here. We look at producing is not uh, pre-production, production, post-production. Producing is, is, is the inception and, or acquisition of the concept, the develop, the, the sale of it, the pitch of it. We have art of the pitch class, the development of the of the project with the writer. Uh, if you're a producer or if you're the writer doing the project, then pre-production, production, post-production, and then distribution. And we have distribution classes, and we have overview classes that deal, deal with all those areas. So I, I I I think that people have this misnomer that you just get a camera in your hands and you can go run around and shoot. You know, the writing will take care of itself, or maybe you get a script. Uh, a lot happens before the the uh, the green light happens to pre-production, and you really are off uh, finding your locations and such. Yeah, good, very good point. So, so um, how does a film school get on the map? I mean, what do you have to do in order? Yeah. That's a that's a a, a really good question. Uh, um, I think that film schools have gotten on the map um, because of their, um, uh, their their alums, their alumni, um, and their famous alumni. And I mean, when I was going to school, um, you know, we knew that uh, Martin Scorsese had gone to NYU, uh, Francis Ford Coppola had gone to UCLA, um, and George Lucas had gone to USC. Uh, in the case of USC, I think it's on the map in large measure because of their graduate program called the Peter Stark program uh, in producing, because the, the people who come out of there and they're 25 a year become agents and executives, which propagates that. Um, I, you know, I, I don't, you know, no one knew that, I don't know that very many people knew that Brigham Young had a, a film school until Jared Hess directed uh, Napoleon Dynamite. And then they said, who, what, Brigham Young? And now we're hearing about filmmakers from Brigham Young. Um, you know, so I think that that's, that's a huge part of it. In the case of our school, we've had uh, Timothy Limbui win uh, the grand prize at Sundance for a film. Uh, we've, we have uh, uh, um, Robert Schwenke, who did Flight Plan, Jaime Colasera. We have a, a certain number of, uh, of, uh, of working directors. Uh, we have um, working the cinematographers. Uh, 
but you know, a marquee name helps to put uh, a film school on the map in terms of the consciousness of those who are applying. Um, in terms of the industry, we have, as other film schools have, film festivals for the industry where they come and see our films. Um, and a lot of it has to do with you know our students propagating and, and proliferating within the industry and also the people who, who teach here. We have Oscar winners, Emmy winners, and you know big-time speakers, and, and so then they want to lend a hand and, 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 and help our students. Cool, very cool. Um, does everybody in, in film school, you know, end up wanting to be a director or a writer? I mean, is that is that uh... not here? Uh, I think that if you did a poll nationwide of the 602 or 603 schools that offer degree programs in film and film or film and television, um, they would say directing is most popular, writing is, is most popular, second most popular here. Uh, directing certainly the most popular emphasis with you know the area specialization, um, but I would think cinematography. We have a, a very large number of students who want to be cinematographers, uh, then writing, producing, and, and editing. Um, but yeah, at least half the students here want to be directors, and I think if you went to most full schools, it'd probably be greater than fifty percent. Um, I, I don't know if they. Of course, it's a lottery. Will they all end up being directors anywhere from anywhere? Probably not. Um, and I think that what they do is it seems like they come in saying, I want to be a director because it seems like a good, good idea because that's what you want to be. Uh, um, and then they find other areas that, that suit them better or make them, you know, uh, they find their talents in another area. We, have a, we don't have a program in art direction. We have a class or two in it. We have occasional students say, you know what, I really want to do that. But I can make it akin to, you know, I think everybody in show business really starts as an actor. And it's not that they start as an actor professionally, but when you're in first grade, second grade, third grade, you know, you do the Christmas pageant, you know, you do little plays and so forth, and you're, you're performing in them, and you kind of like it. You like the applause, you like the environment, you like the, you're creating the make-believe, the creativity of it. And then you find out, oh, gee, you know what, I can write this, or gee, I can, I can do those lights, um, and I can do something else from this. Um, so uh, it's what they, our program is geared, and I, you know, so I can speak for that, our program is geared so that they get a taste of everything. You know, even if you want to be a, a cinematographer, you have to take acting. Even if you say you want to be a writer, you have to take production sound. Um, and what happens from that is not only they learn to communicate with each other and the other people in the other jobs and learn about the other jobs, but they find frequently, you know, no one ever told me I could write but I just took the, I took I've taken a writing class or two, and you know what I like it, and I'm good at it. Um, so someone might come and say I want to be an editor because they like films and it and it, it, to them it seems safe, although it's certainly not it's a difficult job uh, and a challenging job. And then they start writing and they say you know what I'm really going to take the plunge and try that. I think it's great just just for that alone, where you, where people get more well-rounded exposure to things and and understand the different aspects of filmmaking. Like you said, they might want to they come in from being an actor, but they decide they want to be a writer or something later on. Um, how, now the, the industry is changing a little bit. What, how what how are you approaching the the notion of 3D? Yeah, um, I just formed a committee. I don't like committees. I can't stand them. But I just formed a committee among faculty and and others here. Uh, to, to approach that. There's one issue with what about the technology. We have, we do offer a 3D cinematography class. We've had for about two years. It's quite popular. Um, uh, and we're using, probably the technology we're using in the class is not obviously cutting edge because a film school can't just buy everything. We can lease things. 
um, you know, I've, I've been talking to our faculty as well as to industry professionals and say, is this the time we buy that 3D camera? And they say, no, wait. Uh, so tech, in terms of cinematography, in terms of that aspect of filmmaking, we are teaching it. The real challenge, I think, for, for film schools will be not the technological aspect, because a lot of that is just how much money do you have to invest, um, because you know, it is expensive I mean, to, to, to keep up a film school and to keep current. I think the real challenge is going to be how you handle all of this aesthetically. Um, that you, the film is done, let's take the use of the close-up. Um, in film, in cinema, uh, you know, a close-up is used really for emotional moments. In, in television, it's frequently used not just for emotional moments, but to disseminate information. Uh, if, you're on the, if you're doing shooting webisodes or shooting on the web, and we have courses in that as well, um, you're using close-ups are, 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 can be overwhelming using for a different purpose. But the aesthetic of just the close-up in, th- in a 3D film is going to be different. Um, and we have to approach um, when we're teaching our students and training them, if you will, uh, how those films are going, to, uh, are going to look, how they're going to reach the audience psychologically, uh, emotionally. Uh, and that's going to be different. So I think the broader picture, people just focusing now on the technology, uh, and that includes editing. I mean, all those uh, and, and, and the monitors you have to have, and all those things. Uh, I think it's we have not yet done sufficiently, and we are doing it. Uh, and that is to approach it, the aesthetics of it, and, and the look and the feel of what a 3D film is. Oh, excellent! Now I was going to ask you, uh, and you and, and 3D you, television too, by the way. Uh, and, let, and we'll talk about television in a little bit, but but I wanted to ask you, you know, how are you approaching teaching the new media, you know, episodes and that sort of things? And and you did mention it, so. Yeah, we really, you know, I I, I, I want to say I rang the students, but we try to push the students and say, hey, look, you know, you're not going to. The good news is that you can people can transition from film to television and television to film in a way they could not 20 years ago, let alone 30, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, and that means, I mean, you know, yes, you can say, well, Steve McQueen started on a television series. He went to feature films, James Gardner. I mean, there are some people who were able to make the, the transition. Certainly Sidney Lament and a lot of other wonderful directors started on live television. But for the most part, um, it, for many, many years, you could not transition. And there were a lot of reasons for it um, aesthetically uh, in terms of, or in terms of what the actor was or, or director were able to do or able to project. Uh, now people do tra- do go back and forth. There is crossover, um, and where is where is the, where do the ideas come from? Um, I think that that pie in the sky. You know, the student who comes to film school thinks that you know they're going to make a five minute short film or twenty minute short film, and that someone's then going to give them a hundred million dollars, and they're going to be you know uh, competing with uh, James Cameron, um, and that's that's not going to happen uh, probably. For I mean, they might work up to that. Uh, simply because they can't, they haven't given any indication they can handle a hundred million dollar budget. Um, I think where people come from, you know, I don't want to call it the minor leagues because it isn't, um, but they come from one area and they and they make their bones, to, you know, to use an awful cliche. So I think people are going to emerge from web doing webisodes. They're going to emerge from doing things on the internet, and that's where we're trying viral videos. That's where we're trying to impress upon our students. Um, yes, there are some people who are going to make that independent film, the Kevin Smiths of the world. Uh, and they're and they're going to get noticed, and and they're going to get going to get their deals, and that's great. And we hope it happens to you. The more realistic approach is that you're going to do a uh, you're going to do webisodes, and that webisode is going to get noticed. 
Um, you're going to meet people through that. You're going to you know, cut your teeth and learn, your, your, learn what you're doing, and then that is going to, in a progression, lead up to the future film that you want to do. So we have navigating new media, production for new media, uh, essential viral videos. I mean, there are snappy titles, perhaps, but we have classes in which that's what the students are doing. They're making films with the aesthetic and, and the idea of, of that very small screen that's on um, your computer. Um, it will be a larger screen soon, but that, that was still a small screen. And, and, um, and uploading it and getting it there and getting noticed from it. And indeed, they're getting work. Our students are getting work directing uh, webisodes. Uh, they're getting work in the area and getting those credits that are leading to the other things. Oh, that's fantastic. Now, I, I, I got to go back, though, to the beginning, where, where, and you mentioned it about you know, the YouTube amateur videos. Are you talking about a qualitatively different project when you talk webisodes or, or the fact that people are getting things up there versus the people who just grab a camera? Yes, I am talking. I'm talking about people who are getting things on specific websites and specific, specific kinds of uh, scripted projects, for example. I mean, you could theoretically put your, you know, your birthday party uh, on YouTube. Um, what I'm talking about is, is our students are being hired by companies that are putting a limited amount of funds into webisodes um, in order to try out a project, in order to uh, get credits, in order to uh, see what's out there. And, and no, this stuff is not going on YouTube. It's going on, on individual web, uh, websites. I see. I see. Now, what is the, most, the hardest thing for the professionals who are teaching the young aspiring filmmakers and by young I assume that I mean I use the term young filmmaker to mean people of all ages but I guess I guess technically probably most of your students are actually literally young as well yeah actually our median age is a little higher just to clarify oh. that um, most uh, we have a lot of students who come out of, of community colleges um, uh, maybe 25 percent of them because they know that they can take uh, it's a cost factor actually uh, they can take the general studies that they must take, which are required by the state of California and our accreditation, for uh, for less of a cost. And we're not expensive, but for less of a cost, or they're you know they're they're learning you know they're they're figuring out what they want to do. Um, our median age here is probably about 22, 22 and a half, whereas at other schools it might be 21, 21 and a half. So it's a little older. And we do have a percentage of students who are 25 who are in the industry and want to come back and and learn more. Um, so, in the concept of young filmmakers, but uh, if you're you're talking about what is most difficult for our faculty, yeah, um, uh, yep. it's, it's probably uh, um, probably teaching the notion of the steps that 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 it takes. Um, I was teaching the thesis course here. Where all of our students make a film as, as, in order to graduate, um, and I remember asking the students, and this, there were forty in the you know forty in the group. How, you know, when do you think post-production starts? And only one knew it starts the moment you have something to cut. And now it even starts before that in pre-production because you have to set up your visual effects. Most of them thought that because they're used to making films and then sitting down and editing it, most of them thought, well, post-production doesn't start until after you're done. Not true. I mean, we know that the editor, you know as best as anyone, the editor starts the moment you have something to cut. They're starting... The moment, you know, they might start the day, the second day of production, they're working, maybe even earlier. Um, so, so getting them to see the broader picture, getting them to plan, uh, to do plan, because they're used to these bad habits of high school classes or on their own of getting a camera and running out and kind of winging it. 
Um, and that doesn't fly when you have, uh, you know, when someone's giving you $30,000, $100,000, or $2, um, and saying, make it a film, what's your plan? You know, who's going to shoot it? You know, how do you get the locations? Uh, you have to get film permits. So it's getting them to do, is, is to understand the process and become part of the process without learning what it is that makes them unique and, what, and, and what, how they're going to express that unique voice that is going to get them over the hump. I mean, so I think that's the most difficult thing. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to take a short break, and we'll come back. I just want to tell the the listeners that you are listening to Rex Sykes' Movie Beat. The official web address is rexsikes.com. We always appreciate your comments and your support about blogs and articles and these conversations. Feel free to email me anytime, questions for my guests or comments. Uh, please do review and rate us, whether you're listening to this live or as a podcast. Make us a friend or a fan if you're listening live. And uh, keep in mind, if you're listening to this at any other time than when it is live, that there are uh, literally over a hundred other fabulous interviews that uh, you're going to want to pay attention to. Coming up next is producer John Paul Rice. He's the very next guest on Rex Sykes' Movie Beat. We're going to have a varied schedule for a little bit of time while I'm producing the TV show Woody's World for director Ron Coleman. And uh, and I need to go to New York. And I'm, while I may do some shows from New York, uh, I'll let everybody know as we go on. But for now, I want to return to uh, Mr. Alan Gansberg, Dean of Columbia Film School in Hollywood, a film historian, producer, and author. Wow, well, that's fascinating. Let me is, Rex, can I just say, the name of the school, I mean, I'm not trying to, uh, the, it's a, uh, the official name of the school is Columbia College Hollywood. Um, and. We are, no, no, don't apologize. I'm just trying to make, make it clear to everyone. And it's, uh, we're, the campus is in Tarzana, California, which is part of the city of Los Angeles. Uh, it's about 15 miles from downtown Hollywood, from Hollywood and, and Highland. So, um, it's Hollywood, outside yes. of Hollywood. <laughs> oh, that's very cool. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry if I haven't been saying it correctly. I, I do apologize for that. Uh, well, let me ask you, let, let's wrap this up with what's the greatest joy and the greatest frustration about heading uh, a film school. The greatest joy is, and and it's and it's corny, uh, and I'm going to say it anyway. I got an email from a former student the other day, and one I had clashed with as his instructor in terms of, you know, his getting him to do the process and all this kind of thing. Um, um, but a good kid, and we had gotten him um, his an internship, and he had gotten this internship, and they really loved him, and they didn't have a job for him, but they made all these calls for him. Um, and he got he got another internship, and, and that led to people liked him, and he was a hard worker. Um, and he just secured his first full time job on a television series, and he wrote an email and thanked me, um, you know, for, for what I had done for him. And when he left here, he was pretty pissed at me because I was haranguing him that he couldn't shoot until he did his paperwork properly, that kind of thing, you know. Um, and so that's the greatest joy. I mean, really, is that when you say. I don't know what's going to happen to him. I know he has a shot, but you know, I don't know if he's going to be head of a studio or win an Academy Award for directing. I mean, all those things are yet to be to, to be to be seen. But that is that's the greatest joy. Uh, the greatest frustration, um, without being redundant, the greatest frustration uh, is the student who um, thinks it's a good idea to go make films and doesn't realize a it's a business and b it's a process. Um, and I don't think that you even even something that's 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 uh, um, that one does on one's own, uh, like painting. You know, you can go out and get a, get a canvas and get the art supplies. Um, that there's technique, 
there's knowledge, and that you're trying to reach an audience. Um, and so I think the frustration is uh, the student who just thinks it's a fun idea to go be a filmmaker um, and doesn't allow himself or herself to click into the notion of what it's going to take. Uh, that makes perfect sense. Uh, it really does. And uh, and I keep thinking, you know, that so many people confuse art with business, you know, and and fun with business. And and while it can be all of those things, you know, it is a film business. Uh, let me switch topics just a little bit. We've got uh, you know about 20 minutes remaining here, and and I'd like to get into this. And, I, and I'm going to ask you, Alan, if you'd come back another time, and we'll just talk more about Hollywood lore and and history and anytime. Things. Okay, fantastic. And, and we'll let the listeners know when this is going to occur. Uh, but what about television? You know, what's going on in TV? Is cable the future of TV, or are we going to see that go away? Can I, can I, I want to respond to that. I don't think there is any difference between cable and... I think everything's cable now. I think this notion... And you saw it a lot when they were talking about Conan O'Brien who's going to TBS. I don't think that there is a difference now, except in the, except in the, in the business plans and in companies. With the audience, there's no difference between cable television, HBO, which is premium television, and the broadcast networks. And the reason there's no difference, it's, it's really a dated thinking to think there is. The reason there's a difference, there's no difference, is for 25 years and more, I mean, cable has, has every, every home or the majority of homes have had cable television. Um, our students here, for example, under 25 years of age, don't know the difference between whether the CBS, TBS, what difference does it make to them? I mean, in other words, it's all coming out of this box. Um, and I think that, that it's those who are older who remember when there were three channels or five channels, whatever, in their market, who then suddenly got 25 more channels and now have 500 channels who are making the differentiation. I don't think there is a differentiation. I think that people who tune in are tuning in to watch television. Um, studies show us that most people only track seven to ten channels. Um, and I think that for now, uh, the broadcast channels or the broadcast networks are one of those channels, but I don't think people see the difference anymore. Well, you know, i got to say that I like to think of myself, you know, like Buddha, that I am a completely enlightened, you know, person. And, and, uh, and first let me preface it by saying if you don't remember the Z channel, you haven't lived long enough. Uh, I agree with you. <laughs> you know, it's it's like I mean, first you know we used to turn this dial on television, and then we got a box, and then the box had an A and B switch on it, and you could go from I think A to Z, you know, or one to twenty six or whatever, and then one, you know, and you'd flip it, and then, but you always had to get up and change the channel, and then and then it, so if you live in the remote world where you know you can pretty much think what channel you want, to, but but having said that. Um, you know, I I tend to think, geez, you know, I want 600 channels and everything, but I only watch five or six channels when it all boils down to it. The thing that I think that cable has done has made it harder for someone like myself to pay attention to all the people who are now TV stars and all the shows because I can't watch all of them. When when there were three networks and you knew when your your you know when there was prime time and and that was all you had, these people were like celebrities. They were the TV icons. Now there's huge numbers of people I have never heard of because yeah. there's all these shows I can never track. Yeah. Can, you know. So yeah. uh, it's, 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 it's uh, an interesting thing. So what about C C Conan going to cable? Does it, it doesn't mean anything if he goes to TBS? Well, just... Let me say that. I think that about Conan, I don't say it doesn't mean anything. I, I mean, I, I, was, I was exaggerating to make my point, I think. Conan O'Brien was a late-night television uh, personality. 
um, who and I think the conceit of the broadcast networks uh, has really did it NBC on this one. Um, just because the critics liked Conan doesn't mean the audience knew who he, who he even was. Um, and so they put him on at 11.30 in the Tonight Show, assuming that because he was Conan O'Brien and, and everybody was told that this guy's so bright and witty and so on, that everybody would just find him, that everyone would want to watch him. And nobody knew who he was. TBS, or what, who, either his handlers or TBS are being much smarter now. They're doing what they should have done originally, which is to send him on a comedy tour. He's getting loads of publicity. He's in local markets. He's doing interviews in local markets. People will now know who he is. He's not just that person who's on late night, you know, who's on at 12.30 in the morning when I have to be in work in the morning and I can't stay up that late. I mean, they're going to know who he is, and he's going to have a better shot at making it at 11 o'clock or 11.30. I mean, that's the first thing. Second thing is, yeah, I think that what, what the TBS move shows is not that cable is one-upping broadcast, because I don't think that really matters anymore. What I think it shows is that the talent doesn't feel obliged to be on the broadcast networks anymore. That the talent will go to the place where they can get the best deal or get the get the best uh, uh, creative environment. Uh, we're certainly seeing that with people wanting to do shows on Showtime and and, and HBO, or you know, or, or Kira Sedgwick wanting to do the closer on TNT because she only has to do 13 episodes a year. She makes enough money and um, gets enough uh, uh, prestige um, and can still do feature films or still have time with her family. And so what that means is um, that Conan O'Brien and George Lopez, they don't feel any obligation to go on a broadcast network um, and they will probably get a better creative environment. Um, and I think, but more than Conan doing it, I think that the, the popularity of Comedy Central, um, of Jon Stewart and the others on Comedy Central, have shown that the audience is going to gravitate towards the best show or the best witty show or the person they like and not gravitate towards uh, broadcast networks uh, necessarily anymore. And so it makes it a more competitive environment. In some ways, <clears throat> people are going to have to pay more money to get that talent, maybe. Um, in the other hand, that's going to, the, the, it's going to uh, make the audience thinner, which makes advertising revenues less. Um, and that shows are going to have to be produced for less money, and so you will see fewer scripted shows and um, a, a different television uh, um, palette, if you will. Do you mean we're going to have more scripted? <laughs> uh, I think you're going to you're going to see fewer yeah fewer scripted shows. I mean, there might be the total number may be higher because there's more channels. You're going to see fewer of those. I don't know if you're going to see reality shows. I think that that may run its course. Uh, you know, as as a, but I think you're going to see uh, other ways in which to deliver entertainment. Uh, I don't know. You could see game shows in prime time again. I'm not saying you will, but I mean, it could. Be, I don't know. The next thing can come along, um, but because I, I think you know, I think reality shows are, are, are the better reality shows are really things like uh, are really uh, things like uh, you know, Ice Tracker or something. You know, where you're really seeing people in their environment. I mean, I don't know how much longer people really want to see the Kardashian kind of, let's go see this family, you know, uh, uh, do, do, do this and that. Right, so. right. Well, let me ask you this, because I, it seems to me that, that cable television has, for the most part, matured. It's grown up. It's not always the case, because I can still turn on certain channels and find inane, stupid, mindless humor that, that uh, I would hope my children don't watch. But... Um, I can also go to, for example, the FX channel and find what I think are stellar shows like uh, 
Rescue Me is one of my favorites. I, I I love the show. I love I love the fact that everybody's flawed. I think the acting is superb. I think it's a really well done show. Yeah. Now I don't see that so much on primetime television, or not just primetime, but the main network television. Now the other thing is is that they can swear on the cable channel, but they still can't swear apparently on network. Is that is it FCC still controls? Yeah, no. It's, it, yes. It's the National Association of Broadcasters. The 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 broadcasters the broadcasters uh, actually self-regulate, um, and yes, they can be fined. You know, if Janet Jackson decides to bear body parts, they can be fined um, for broadcast television. But mostly, they they make an attempt to they 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 censor themselves and control themselves. Um, I think that that's that's that is one of the one of the things that um, uh, might be you know might be holding things back. Uh, cable can be edgier. Remember, the cable is regulated by uh, a different environment, uh, different government agencies, um, and that's been a, a plus to it, perhaps. But I agree with you. Uh, the broadcast networks are not necessarily doing things that are compelling. I think The Good Wife in this last season was one show that I think really is compelling and really well-written, really good twists and turns, very good performances, good direction. Uh, you know, I give that one my thumbs up, if you will. Um, but I was watching Glee um, for the first time, um, and I know it's a very hot show, and I think the performers on it have amazing voices, are, 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 are incredibly talented uh, in that sense. But I, I, I have a little problem with with this character, uh, supposed to be a high school character, going up to another high school character and says, I hear you're still a virgin, and uh, you know I'll deflower you. I mean, not in those words, but that's what she was saying. I, I have a problem with that. And uh, um, uh, I would have a problem with with my 11 year old having um, access to that, to seeing that. Um, and yes, it can start a discussion. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, my my politics uh, are are quite left of center. So it has nothing to do with politics. It has to do with um, the trouble that the broadcast networks have um, when they're trying to be contemporary and hip. I think they often confuse that with having to have Certain language or certain uh, or, or or certain sexuality, rather or, or discussion of sexuality, rather than um, uh, um, something that's more exciting. I mean, the for Sopranos uh, was exciting on HBO, not because of the language, but because of the the environment and the characters and the depth of the of the writing and and the direction and all those kind of things. Wow, no, it's a good point. I I have a couple points to make. The first one is that I'm absolutely incensed and angered by your statement that The Good Wife is, is a good show. And the reason I am is because that show had wanted to shoot in the state of Wisconsin, yeah. and our Department of Commerce and our governor took away our incentives and ignored their pleas to let them come in and shoot, and we lost the series. And they had this was the second time that the, that Ridley Scott's company has tried, or, or that the director, the primary director of the show, has tried to bring a television series into the state, and our state has gone, go away. And so I'm, I'm very happy for Juliana and the, and the and the crew and the cast. But it went to, it went elsewhere. It went to Canada, and we lost it. And so I know it's doing well. And so um, it, I'm not angry at the show, but I'm 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 continually frustrated with the lack of uh, foresight and innovation and progress that our our politicians and uh, the people who d- comprise the Department of Commerce have have. Uh, and that's what you should go to Madison right now and 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 and, and complain. Protest. <laughs> well, yes, exactly, and and I'm trying to get the film what's what's left of our film commission to actually jump on board now and and do something while we can 
so that uh, the climate can change and that we can keep Wisconsin friendly and we can manufacture not only our own movies, but we can invite other people in to make movies. Uh, but let me ask you this, because so, we've got about 10 minutes left, and I want to I go back to the broadcast. Is, is broadcast television really still broadcast television? I mean, now in the digital age when everybody's got a cable box, are they, I mean, you know, and they, with the whole channel changing from analog to digital, do they really still broadcast? Yeah, I'll tell you what, it's broadcast television in this sense. Uh, broadcast is obviously for the broadest possible audience, and they're still playing to the broadest possible audience um, even, for the most part. I mean, yes, they're trying to go for demographics, teenagers or whatever, you know, urban, whatever it is they want to say. But they're playing to the broadest possible audience because broadcast television sells audiences to advertisers. That's what they do. Um, you know, a premium channels, HBO, Showtime, sell, sell programs to subscribers. That's what they do. Um, cable television, because the way that advertising is purchased on it, um, isn't doesn't ha- needs to have a higher uh, uh, to sell audiences to advertisers, but needs to but does it in a different way, um, and, and is also doing niche markets and is doing demographic specifics. So it's broadcast in the sense of wanting the largest possible audience. Is but as I I, I I think we both agree that um, it's not broadcast anymore in the sense of people saying. What's on the uh, on 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 free television? Um, because that's because they're paying for that box, uh, or they're paying for the satellite. And of course, the percentage of people don't have either, you know, and are still working off of antennas or so forth. I mean, I know people, believe it or not, who who don't have uh, uh, the treasure of the co- of this college of the college, you know, doesn't have cable. So I mean, there are people in the in the in the world. Uh, go figure. Well, there but, are a lot of people who have. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. No. No, please. I was just going to say, I know lots of people who no longer have cable. They've opted out, and they're just getting stuff off the Internet. They're going, you know, ABC, CBS, AT&T, they're all putting their stuff out there. So I would, Or I would rather pay, you know, a buck ninety-nine a show through iTunes than to, you know, be a cable subscriber. And, and, and then I can, I can choose specifically what I want to watch. Um, I, I don't – well, I don't um, – I appreciate that approach. I also I also tend to kind of like the shotgun approach with certain things. In other words, I'm exposed to stuff I may never see by the fact that I have not opted out of the system. So I might be flipping through something and watch something I would never come across otherwise. And I and I like to think of myself as being able to be exposed to things that I might not want to be exposed to. And I don't mean in terms of offensive or non-offensive material, but just in terms of being kind of well-rounded. So I like the notion that that people can't just put me in a niche and go, this is the guy, and I just get targeted stuff to me. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, it, but at but any rate, um, we got about seven minutes left, and I know that we want to come back and and talk some more. But but how about the film students? Now, do they, do many students now aspire to go into TV, and or or do they just kind of end up that way, or will they end up that way if they want to? I mean, has TV changed? We're a small school with small classes. We have 350 students. We're just doubling our campus size, so we'll go up to 500 students in the next few years. So um, we have a television, you know, a cinema television major. We have people taking television classes. I think that the that someone goes to film school, they're still thinking that they're going to do a a feature film. The fact that they're distributing fewer of them doesn't doesn't affect their thinking at the time. Um, The reality is, of course, and it was true of me. Uh, too. I mean, I ended up doing mostly television. Um, that they will go into television. I, I don't. I, I don't know that they. They don't come aspire. Uh, we have some who aspire to do sitcoms, or particularly the writers. Um, I don't think that they they come here aspire on, on large scale, aspiring to do Glee. 
uh, or aspiring to do the good wife, the two series you mentioned, or, or any, other, any of the others, uh, or even the Sopranos. I think they, they but, but, but um, when they leave here, um, we hopefully they have a better sense and that they know that it's the, where, where to put the idea is the most important thing. Um, and, um, you know, they will, uh, uh, let's just say that a student who, uh, who I, I, I was quite friendly, was quite uh, mentoring, mentored, you know, wants to write screenplays, 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 and, you know, just, just emailed me and said she sold her first episodic television, and believe me, she's happy. <laughs> you know? She just sold her first script. She's going to get into the Writers Guild. They're talking about another assignment. They're talking about if it comes back next season or next season, you know, she could be the, you know, she might be staff. And I didn't hear anything about feature films in the conversation. Wow. Well, you know, as, as a young man for me in Hollywood, um, if, if, well, I would be happy to do an episodic TV show. Uh, if somebody had said, you know, we're going to put you on a soap opera, I'd go, get out of here. I, I wouldn't have wanted to do a soap opera to have saved my life. I wanted to be a film actor and be in feature films and have this kind of notion of quality work, you know. But today, as an older person, I would do a soap opera, even though there's not the money in it anymore that there once was. I would do a – or money in it for an older guy, as there once was – um, I would do a soap opera at the drop of a hat. If I could get somebody to offer me to be on a TV series, I don't care what it is, I think I would do the TV series at the drop of a hat. And, and one of the reasons I think that, well, first off, is, is not so much with soaps, but I think television has matured and grown up incredibly from when uh, in the 70s and the 80s and even in the 90s. I think that there's a lot of good TV, and having said that, there's always been bad movies, but there's a lot more bad movies <laughs> than there have been um so you know it's it's uh, yes i'd love to do features and i'd love to have my movie show in the movie theater but you know it seems like everything is changing if, if you could get a a money deal and have a webisode if you could get money and, and be on television if you could get money and make you know and i think frankly if you do movies you work a whole lot less than you would if you were in tv i mean you know if you like working you're going to work more in something Hopefully, like television, where if you could get a series, you're going to work a, hopefully a lot during the. Yeah, year. you're going to get, if you reach the top rung, you're going to get the money's going to be just it's almost as good as features anyway. So, yeah. um, and the other thing is that that the the technology is changing the, the the consumer technology that we're going to have large larger screens in our homes. You know, that's going to blur what what we're watching between television and webisodes and all those other things and. Uh, we're going to be able to call down future films, and I don't think that they, knowing from the students here, they love going to movies. I mean, movies are a shared experience. Movies are a place where they go with the date and hope to get lucky afterward. Um, I don't think that they they they're as phased by seeing a film on a small screen, a smaller screen than than we might have been. Uh, not to age the two of us, because we're spry, but. <laughs> we're, we're youthful in our old age, but you know the thing is though is you know it amazed me because I, I actually was quite angered. I said, you know, I I grew up where you know you would go to like large movie theaters and then and then the the multiplexes came about and the screens were reduced in size and and now in an attempt to get them back they go back to 70 millimeter stuff, you know and and uh, so they have the large screens and the technology is getting better and the cameras are getting better and the, and it's now Blu-ray not DVD and at the same time we're watching all these crappy little phones you know people are watching movies on their phones they're watching poor quality you know YouTube videos where it's all grainy now that has come along too. I mean, now you can get some of this stuff in high, in high def on the 
on on you know on your phone or on your iPod or or you can get you know high def YouTube stuff. But I went, it's amazing, you know, people were willing because of the new technology, they were actually willing to watch it on a smaller screen. And, yeah. Uh, and yet in the home, you're right. I mean, they're getting larger and larger. They're wall sized. Uh, and I'm expecting my iPad delivered tomorrow because I got one that's fully loaded with, you know, that dices and chops and, and makes toast. I had to get oh. the one, the really loaded one, you know, and that doesn't come out till this week. Uh, and I'm, I'll watch films on my iPad, you know. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, a friend of mine said, well, you know, if I hold it up to my face, I can't tell whether it's, you know, on the big screen or not. I, I disagree. I remember they had came out with a TV years ago that you could put on your dashboard, you know, plugged into your cigarette lighter in the car, and it was a one-inch screen, and then you'd put on this over, you'd, you'd, you'd attach a, mag, a magnifying lens to it, which would make it a three-inch screen, uh, or, or appear to be, and then when you were camping, you could plug it into your car, and, 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 and it was analog, so you'd tune in whatever available channels. Um, <laughs> Alan, my last question, and we only have about a minute, maybe less than that, is uh, uh, please do explain the theory of relativity. <laughs> uh, theory of relativity is that it doesn't uh, that it doesn't help you to be to have relatives in show business. You still have to deliver. <laughs> that is an excellent answer. That is awesome. And you have been, again, an awesome and a fabulous guest, and I want to thank you so much. Uh, best of luck. I hope to be out there in June. I hope we can meet up, uh, you know, when I I look forward to it. Hello. And uh, in the meantime, have a fabulous weekend, and uh, and thank you so much. We'll have And you break a leg next week. Oh, thank you so much. Yes, I appreciate that. We, uh, we're really looking forward to the shoot, and, uh, and uh, our, uh, on Woody's World, on our movie set, uh, dot com slash Woody's World. Uh, people can look at the blog and look at the cast and look at the pictures and things like that. But let me ask you, give me out right now, Columbia College Hollywood Film School, the web address. Columbia College Hollywood is www.columbiacollege.edu. Columbiacollege.edu. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much, Alan. Have a great Thank one. You, Rex. Thank you, All right. Bye-bye for Bye. now. And that was Mr. Alan Gansberg, and I, I, I love listening to Alan. He, he has so much to, to share and to talk about, and, and, uh, and I'm glad that you've been listening, too. And, again, keep in mind I've got many other fabulous guests coming up, and uh, stay tuned to Movie Beat. And please do go ahead and, and retweet about these guests and uh, post it on your Facebook wall and MySpace. Email your friends. Email your industry contacts. Email your film students. And let them know that at RexSykes.com, Rex Sykes Movie Beat, they can learn from people who are making it. Uh, and in that way, you help us reach more people and extend, extend our reach to them so that they can um, hear these uh, great guests share their knowledge and their expertise at absolutely no cost to you. And it's available by podcast. So you can become a member of the Rex Sykes Movie Beat Facebook group or the Friends page there on Facebook. Just search that out. Uh, there's the Wisconsin Film Jobs. Keep Wisconsin Film Friends. Cause if you're a Wisconsin resident, if you're a filmmaker in Wisconsin or a fan of movies in Wisconsin, please go ahead and join that cause on my profile page in Facebook so that we do get TV series like The Good Wife back into the state of Wisconsin, so that we do attract outside business in here so we can develop our own infrastructure, so that we do support our own local filmmakers uh, so that they can make their movies and their TV shows like we're doing next week 
and uh, and help support it in that fashion. I appreciate everyone listening in. Everybody have a fabulous day. Go make your movies and complete your projects and your TV shows and your webisodes. And until we meet the next time, that's a wrap.